This episode of Pompey Talk is brought to you in association with Portsmouth.co.uk. To stay in the know about everything happening at Fratton Park, including the latest news, analysis and transfer updates, take out an online Pompey subscription with the Portsmouth News today at portsmouth.co.uk forward slash subscriptions. Hello and welcome to Pompey Talk, the news podcast. I'm Jordan Cross, joined by Head of Sport Mark McMahon and new blues writer Sam Cox to bring you bang up to speed with the latest from Fratton Park. With it now 358 minutes since Pompey scored in the league, we look at what it will take to avoid the worst barren run in the 21st century against Cambridge United. We also assess the reasons why a striker didn't arrive before the close of the transfer window. And the Pompey number 10 conundrum is analysed as we ask, is the time right to unleash Miguel Aziz? Plus there's insights on Michael Jacobs, Marcus Harness and much, much more. We're available from wherever you download your podcasts. So give us a listen, like and subscribe to get each edition downloaded to your device and keep your finger firmly on the PO4 pulse at portsmouth.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the latest on we talk the podcast. My name is Mark McMahon. Joining me today is fans' favorite Jordan Cross. That's a kid on the block. Sam Cox. Sam, welcome. Welcome to the Pompey Beach. Thank you. Looking forward to it. You've been with us now a couple of weeks. You've got maybe four or five games under your belt already. It feels like it. Feels like it. What's your general thoughts on Pompey so far? Yeah, I think there's, there's there's a lot to be excited about. I think in terms of some of the personnel, but like like all fans will know, there's a a lot of improvement in terms of, of going forward. But from what I've seen, the early signs of are good. I've been very impressed by Danny Cowley with the interactions I've had with him, and and I believe that the club is in in safe hands with him for sure. How many how many the points have all come early, haven't they? And Pompey, since you've turned up, it's all gone. Belly up, pretty much, isn't it? Is that what's? Yeah, I've been to I've been to three games, all competitions. Unfortunately, seen seen three consecutive losses. So maybe um, maybe I am the reason to to be behind the uh, the, the drop off in form. I hope not. But you'll know because yeah. I'm not at the game on Saturday. So if they win on Saturday, then that will be. Uh, that will yeah, be. Uh, you are a stud. <laughs> I've come swanning back in now. Off you go, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> let, let me back under my seat. I'm not making <laughs> in now. So, yeah, yeah. Sorry, you are going to the game on Saturday. Cambridge and Edith at Fratton Park. Uh, are we going to see a Pompey win and all of a sudden those three defeats in a row in all competitions are a thing of the past? Um, I'll tell you what I would say. I, I came back, back in on my week off and spoke to Neil on Neil Allen, chief sports writer on the call on um, Monday. And he, I think he was pretty much ready to write the season off. He was, <laughs> 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 I don't know if I say that or not, but he was so downcast about the whole sort of ongoing sort of uh, woes of strike, which I think it was sort of covered this week already, the, the stri- striker struggles, which have been going on and we're still talking about that. I was thinking, okay, yeah, I hear you. I think it's a little bit too early to write the season off though. <laughs> but I think that was, not um, sort of a, a reason for, but probably a more of an emotional call off the uh, off what it's been witnessing 
at NK and uh, and and Wimbledon, probably less obviously Wimbledon, but more MK. Um, but yes, it's. I think it's been. I think the honeymoon's over now for Danny Cowley, isn't it? That's uh, we, we've had the kind of uh, coming in at March and the free hit to the end of last season, um, and then the kind of uh, overhaul over the summer. That said, saying the honeymoon is over, it's the focus has been on the, the striker issues, and again, the supporters with some sub- substance have said, "Well, we've invested heavily into two strikers at, at a cost of a, a million and a half pounds that." Haven't done it. Um, I mean, don't want to sort of harp on about it too much. What I will do, I won't talk about John Marcus so much, but I think it's been sort of well, we, we, we've defined that and it's been well spoken about. But Ellis Harrison, I, I, I've always thought there's something there with Ellis. And I, I think a fully fit and firing, firing Ellis Harrison um, is a problem for defenders. And I, I've, I've still got some hope with Ellis. I, I think he can really... We get him fit, keep him fit, which is the key. And Danny Kelly is very good at doing that and tailoring programs to, to players. I think he can be a violent brute of a striker that can really cause defenders a lot of problems. Now, Danny feels he needs to get him up far and fit, and it's taken him since March to do that. But now thinks he's at that point. Um, there's technical issues that Danny wants to work on him stretching. The, uh, teams and getting in behind more rather than just being the kind of the battering ram striker. But I think there's reasons to be be optimistic with, with what Ellis can do. Jordy, I'm going to ask you to back up that bold statement. Like I'm just I'm just going through Ellis Harrison's goal record at Pompey. First season, 39 goals, 39 appearances. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that would have been some record. Yeah, 39 and 10. Um, gee, I'm, I'm just probably doing this here. Six and thirty nine. Ten thirty nine. The first season. Ten and thirty nine. Yeah, but like, like what what I'm really getting at is that he, Ellis Harrison. It's not as if he, he's only just signed. He's been here now. This is his third season. He, his goal it's record. Been stop start. Great, but is is it down to injuries? Is it down to Kenny Jackson? It's a bit of everything. I. We're gonna go. This kind of almost leads into what we will talk about. <laughs> um, but the day John Marcus signed, I spoke to Mark Catlin and I said he was cock a hoop about doing the deal, which he would be. He's a CEO, he's got the man that Kenny Jacket wanted. And I was like, how does that work with Ellis Harrison? How I, I can't I couldn't see it then and, and it's been borne out. I was like, John Marcus and Ellis Harrison, I could just couldn't see how it worked out. Mark Catlin was like replied quite rightly, it was like, not my problem. I've gone and done what the manager wants. The manager gives me the players and we get this sort of thing, you know, the, the, it's, you know, he hasn't trodden the manager's toes. He's backed the managers because there's been questions about that in the past. He's just gone and taken the player that the manager wanted and got the deal. But from that day, and it's been borne out, I was like, I couldn't see how Marcus and Harrison would work. Then I couldn't really fathom it. And that's that's been the way. Now that's going to lead into the talk about a number 10 and, and Pompey haven't had a number 10 for a long time, perhaps now. But I just think that... As a single striker, if you get the best out, out of um, Ellis Harrison, I'm not saying he's going to be prolific, but remember what Ollie Hawkins did for that season when Pompey were flying um, and and top of the league. And when Ben Thompson went back, we lost lost our way. Ollie Hawkins, again, another one that's had his critics, but he was seminal to how the team played that 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 season and the success of him as a, as a number nine. I think I'm, I'm talking more like that. I, I think Ellis Harrison can... And go down that avenue. I know we we 
wanted a striker. I know Danny Kelly worked hard for a striker in the immediacy of the summer, Jaden Stockley, etc. In the end, I don't think the striker was out there for Danny Kelly that he wanted. So that's when the money was, was um, went elsewhere. Again, I'm leading into the right back Romeo situation. So perhaps issues that we can pick up in more detail later in yeah. the podcast. I think the thing about Ellis Harrison, the say, Mark, about his run for Pompey, I don't think he's ever really had a, a proper run in the side in the stand 11. Of course, he's had his injury problems and, and you know, been well documented about Marcus and say the problems about playing them together. But I think, as you said, Danny Cowley, if you can get him on the right program to keep him fit, I think if he gets a success with a number of games, I think if you look at his time at Bristol Rovers when he did have a success with a number of games, he did start picking up goals, he did start scoring goals. I think he scored 16 goals in League One for. For, for Bristol Rovers, which prompted Ipswich to sign. And of course, it didn't go quite to plan there. But I think if we, we see him in the team, I think the goals will come. I think, Jordy, I think you're right in terms of there is a player there from what I've seen, well, especially AFC Wimbledon. Wimbledon played a really strong team that day, um, a league one opposition, and he's proved he could score goals against him. So there's definitely a player still in there. And I think Cowley's the right man to, to get it out of him. Well, then, Sam, why, why did he not play him up front against MK Dons and Saturday? Bernard Maney just... Yeah, he scored three in midweek. Um, he was clearly on form. And the striker who everybody wanted in the replace has been, yeah, below below average so far this season. One goal and six, I think it might be at this moment in time. Like, so there was an opportunity for, for Danny Carley to, to throw Ellis Harrison in there. Why didn't he do it in the end? I think Harrison was was very unfortunate to start against MK Dons. Like you say, he would, would have been in a rich vein of form, full of confidence. I think... Danny Cowley alludes to it in the presser just before MK Dons that perhaps he's not quite fit enough to play two games in however many days, five five days. Um, but yeah, I, I think I scratch my head a little bit behind that because they say you need goals and you've got a striker who just scored three in the week. Um, but again, I think it's probably just player management. And I think he, I think once he feels that maybe Marcus gets off the mark, he'll start on a run as well. But Again, I, I think we're all scratching heads a little bit behind that. But yeah, Ellis Harrison, like I say, AFC Wimbledon, he was he was very good. And he said it wasn't just the goals, it was the way he sort of held himself up front and caused problems. So yeah, it, it was a little bit confusing as to why also Harrison only got, I think, less than 20 minutes on the pitch at, at, at MK as well. Um, so again, I, I presume it was just uh, a fitness thing and trying to get him back to, to form fitness so he can make sure he doesn't, sort of go back to, to picking up a little knock and, and not be available for him again. Yeah, I'll, I'll, that, that, that's spot on because um picked up on it with Danny yesterday. Uh, he said, no, I wasn't going to give my team away um, on Thursday when, when I was asked about it. But he, he on Tuesday, his mind was made up that Ellis wasn't playing on Saturday, hat-trick or not. He didn't think he was ready. He didn't want him to have a setback. I think Danny's had reservations about Ellis's fitness for a while, thought that he's below where he needs to be. And he's been working hard on doing that. Remember up at Wigan, was it? When he didn't even make the squad, he kept him back in back in Portsmouth to work on his fitness. Um, so, yeah, and he didn't want to, yeah, cause a problem. And uh, that that he said, no, I was ready to take that one on the chin. Um, but I just didn't want to give my team away on the Thursday, which is, of course, obvious, really. Um, so that was the thinking behind it. Yeah, I just think that Danny feels that Ellis, rightly or wrongly, he feels that, there's a lot of technical things he needs to work on to get him to be the number nine that he wants him to be. Ellis probably wants to, you know, would, would counteract that with, you know, I know what I'm doing, but he wants him to stretch the pitch more, give more in behind than he perhaps, he's got the back to goal, the, the brute force, but he wants him to do a bit more stretching the pitch. I think he wants him to get to a level of fitness 
to do that consistently for 19 minutes. And uh, yeah, that means that he really wants to work at getting Ellis to a level of fitness to be able to do that and really cause problems for, for that period. But going back to the, the decision, that was, I mean, Danny spoke to me, shouldn't really, yeah, but it's like a little bit off the record about that and, and the thinking behind it. And that was the reason, really. Jordan, if you took Ellis Harrison and John Marcus's backstory, took them out of the equation, and Danny Cowley was appointed Pompey manager tomorrow. Both of them were fit. Both of them were available. Who fits into Danny Cowley's remit for his centre-forward? Bear in mind, we can't add any more strikers in essence of free transfer between now and January. Who would, who, who would be his ideal number nine? Oh. Who, who would he think is, offers him more than the other? Oh. You've asked a really good question there, Mark. <laughs> It's taken how many 70-odd podcasts that we've got there? <laughs> That's a good question because you got me thinking about that. Uh, <laughs> John Marquis offers... Danny Cowley says number nine is the first defender. Uh, so John Marquis offers the unselfish... Like Ellis does in a slightly different way, but the work rate, probably more than Ellis does, covers more ground. Um, that's, that's, that's what Danny wants. Ellis offers probably the the physicality to hold the ball up, bring us others into play back to goal more more than John. Um, I don't think either particularly stretched to play like Danny would like um, to be able to get in. I think maybe Hurst does that probably better than both of them. Um, so yeah, there's a kind of all the different and of course execution. You know, I don't think either have been particularly offering them that really, have they? Um, you know, certainly John and. And Ellis needs to kind of show a bit more cutting edge probably than he has done in his career. But that's, yeah. So elements, I think it's obvious that Jaden Stockton was the one that he wanted, that he felt could do all of that. Um, hasn't got the way, gone that way. Then it came to the close of the window. And I don't think the strikers are out there in Pompey's budget. I mean, obviously, we haven't even spoken about the fact that Ellis could have gone very easily. And um, Plymouth, late, Oxford, strongly earlier, Fleetwood, Mentioned as well, weren't they? Who was the other one? There's another one mentioned, but I'm Sheffield Wednesday. Sheffield Wednesday, of course, yeah. But I think Oxford were the strong ones because he was friends, he's friendly with Matt Taylor um, at Oxford and they were Led together. Yeah. I think he's his best best man at his wedding. Anyway, so there was I think that was but then Plymouth came late. So by that stage, I think that Pompey thought they couldn't get Ellis out and get the player that they wanted to come in. I mean, look at the players that moved around deadline. Um Jonathan Laco went to Charlton, might have been okay. The lad that Sheffield Wednesday, I can't remember what his name, Besson's oh, the lad that went to Burton Albion, the 18 year old from Sheffield United, sorry. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. The name escapes me, but no, he's talking about. And then going back earlier, Berahino moved, didn't they? I think Brandon Hamlin, but they're kind of not the type of players that Danny Cowley wants. He wants to, they, to basically, they weren't the players there. Um, Jebison, isn't it? The, uh, the lad at yeah. Sheffield the, the players weren't there. So in the end, it was kind of like, well, look, I might as well stick with what I've got, try and work with what I have here, and I'll put my premium in, in another area of the pitch. Now, again, a few eyebrows raised there being a right back, but Marlon Romeo actually probably gets Danny to the <coughs> back that he'd really wanted to get to. Everyone's like, well, how does that happen? I think he feels that Kieran Freeman might be able to sit into on the, on the one side of that back three and then play Romeo as a wing back. We'll see, but there's there's... There's going to be times where Pompey might look to go that way. Um, so yeah, that's probably why. And of course, Romeo was you know offered 
was, you know, seven figures for his services not too long ago. And I think the price came down in terms of wages at the end. So that was why that opportunity presented itself. So, yeah, that was the narrative behind the situation which has left Pompey fans kind of scratching their heads a bit about why the striker didn't come in. I don't think the one that Danny wanted was there in the end. But you, you always hear, and we have, we have put this line out all summer, that Danny Cowley had a list for every position of five options. If A didn't work out, he had B. If B didn't work out, he had C. If Stockley was A, top of striker, hit list back in June, July, and they missed out, surely you would have went to B, if not then C. So yeah. like, it's a, he did. It's not as if the striker problem was something that he wasn't aware of. He clearly wanted no. Okay, so... Stockley, so my my take my take on that is he's been very stubborn, you know, and it's his prerogative to do that to say the players that are coming in he wants to significantly improve the team. Um, now I'm looking at Tunnicliffe and Morale and Williams and people like that. Romeo, these are real established championship performers, and maybe his bar was set a little bit too high, um, and maybe you know he could have gone lowered it a bit, and it would have opened the door to a number of strikers. And that's that. That's my gut feeling. But Pompey had a budget, and, and actually, in the end, raised their budget. So maybe Danny thought, thought, "I sit tight, and when I do get the one, I want the one that's going to really make it." He's been very, very particular about his level of, of, of recruitment in terms of the key performers. Anyway, I think you can take a punt on some people like Hurst and at the right yeah. price, and, and other players at the right price. But the actual key men, and obviously the number nine, fought, fell into that category. He was like. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to. I'm not going to compromise on on what I want. And he could have done that quite easily. He could have gone and got a, a, a player that would have been a lesser player in his book. But in the end, I think balancing it all up, he thought, okay, well, I might as well just stick with what I've got. Try and work and coach that coach the best out of these players as hard as it may, or as much of a challenge as it may be, and then um, and then look to improve the team in other areas. We'll just see. What, we'll see if that's right. We'll see if that's right. That's a million dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> Sam, uh, Sam, if if Harry did make that decision, you know what? I can use the money then elsewhere to boost somewhere else. Is there an argument that says that he sort of looked at his midfield too much? Like the midfield, he's got loads of options there. At the minute, it doesn't seem as if the three that he's going for at the minute, you've got Tonicliffe, you've got Williams, you've got Morel are actually, you know what, delivering offensively for Pompey. But like, He's got Louis Thompson, he's got Aziz, he's got Michael Jacobs who can play in there. All of a sudden, there's six midfielders for technically two central midfielder roles. Could he have sacrificed any, anybody there to go after a striker? I think there's always there's going to be an argument to say that, that perhaps they could have, I say, not brought in as many bodies in terms of that, that position and, and opened doors forever. But if, like, like you were saying, Jordy, if the right striker wasn't there, then why sacrifice a midfielder that they may think was there ready for him to bring in and 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 sacrifice that? I think he said to me early when I, when I spoke to him that he felt the Ford was stronger now or they're in a better place now than they were at the beginning of the window. Um, but he also wanted to heighten that it's still going to take two or three more windows to get to the squad that he wants. So maybe the reason why we saw so many midfielders come in was that they were the right midfielders for now and right midfielders for two or three transfer windows time. And then felt right now in the next ones, we can now look at the other positions. Like you say, it does open up a lot of possibilities. And and as you say, you know, they they, they got a lot of central midfielders. Like I think the one that's that most interesting really is, is Louis Thompson. 
Um, I saw him play at AFC Wimbledon um, and was pretty much cut above the rest. Um, it'd be interesting to see him get back to full fitness and and get back uh, into the team and, and fight for a place. But like you say, there's a there's a lot of options there. Sometimes for managers, it's good to have that that many options. And and like I say, I think it was just reflective of of the transfer window and and who they could bring in, who who they were looking at. Um, I go back to you know the said the strikers weren't out there. But those central midfield options were out there and they were able to bring them in, into the club. Um, and, and as you say, if the deal suited them within the budget, I think they're more inclined to, to bring them in. Well, Jordy, does any of those midfielders that he has on the books, can any of them actually be a realistic number 10? What's again, uh, some fans might say, you know what, when you we need a number 10, we haven't exactly got a number 10 in at the moment. Thorny subject of the number 10, yeah. <laughs> We've been discussing this for years, but still no solution to it. Oh, I think, again, Sam's kind of hit upon the sort of issue there that they worked hard to get morale. They worked hard, spent invested a lot of time to get Tana Cliff and Williams. And, and, and those players were the ones that could try. And Bazunu as well. He spent a hell of a lot of time on that. And Stockley, which didn't come on. So they wanted to, to get those players to come in. A separate issue is, yeah, the number 10, the thorny issue of a number 10. Um, Danny Cowley, when he's, you look at his quotes about the day he signed Tunnicliffe, he, he talked about him as being a number 10. Um, he obviously believes that he can be a number 10. I would say the jury's probably out on that at the moment from, from a lot of supporters. He could probably be a number 10 in a certain type of game, in a certain type of way. Probably when probably need to do a lot of more out of possession than in it. But when playing in possession and needing to a bit of craft and goal to open up teams, I'm not quite sure Ryan Tunnicliffe is that man as a 10. I'm not sure Ryan Tunnicliffe probably believes that. Um, the we, I wasn't party to the press. He was up for press yesterday, but I saw the quotes. And when, when a player starts talking about when he's um, he was answering the questions about a number 10, he starts talking about, well, I'm happy to do a job wherever the manager wants me to. That's code for I'm not comfortable playing as a number 10 that's that's the that, that's the subtext to that statement um he's a number eight isn't he he's shown that he's best form this season as a number eight a box-to-box midfielder he's come in start of the season in excellent fettle dropped off slightly okay but he is a number eight and that's where he, his best position is so yeah where's the number 10 now who is the number 10 for Pompey um at the front end of the midfielder well, we, we said in our conference call this morning and I said at the press um, yesterday when we were talking about it I can't remember the last time Pompey had a, a decent out and out number 10 and I, I went back to Gary Roberts in the end I think that might be the yeah. the you know the orthodox it might be letting someone down there Andy Cannon might have a case for saying it but I don't think as an out and out number 10 no, Gareth Evans wasn't an out-and-out out number 10. John Marcus certainly wasn't an out-and-out out number 10. People that have filled the role in recent seasons. And it's been a problem for Pompey, and it still is. So, yes, you're not expecting it all to be perfect in one window, but I think Pompey, I think Danny County's got most of it right. But the question marks are, are kind of the striker. If we've got that striker and, and sort of a, a, a fit for a, a front-end number 10, which, um, yeah... Well, let Sam ask the que- answer the question about who out of the current crop can do it, shall we? Well, tell you, before you do that, Sam, like tomorrow you're, the, the Pommy's going to face a Cambridge side who could turn up at Fratton Park wanting to just defend their goal. There's going to be a creative spark needed in there. Now, some may argue it could come from the wings with, say, Romeo coming down the wing and Brian the other. You've got Harness and, and, and Marcus. But when you've got a tight-knit defensive unit, who is then the guy to knock that defence from a sample perspective? 
I think I, I'd like to see Aziz get a, a, a good run out tomorrow. And I think he probably, as the season progresses, will emerge as that sort of creative spark in the midfield. It goes, you know, it has to be said that he's not an out and out 10 still. I think he's more of a box to box player. But looking at the options that Danny Cowley has and looking at who probably fits the role better. Um, out of the options in terms of the balance of, of the pitch and and who can unlock those unlock those doors. I think Miguel Aziz will probably prove to be that player. Um, didn't get any minutes against MK Dons, which was uh, Cowley probably didn't feel he was, he was quite ready. Of course, he's only 18, just about to turn 19. So still very young, very fresh. But sometimes you need that that sort of unfinished product, a little bit of, uh, still a little bit of raw to to sort of have no fear and, and take on those defences. So going to Cambridge, I'd like to see Miguel Aziz maybe in that 10 role. Um, I think he's a type of player. I think when I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago, he said he likes to shoot from distance. You know, he's always played in age groups for Arsenal Academy older than, than what he is. I think he made his under-18s debut at just 14. So he plays without fear and, and, he, and he wasn't scared in saying that. And he's, you know, he said he was confident in his ability. So I think in terms of looking to unlock the door against Cambridge, I think Aziz would be the guy. I think I thought Ronan Curtis played pretty well when he came on against MK Dons. I think you're talking about wide areas. I think it's about time for him to show this season, you know, and refine that form that got him linked to, to some clubs in the championship. Um, so I think it'd be more than likely that, that Curtis starts on the wing as well to try and, and try and, you know, put that defensive unit of Cambridge under a lot more pressure and try and get the, the ball further up the pitch. But again, you mentioned, mentioned Romeo as well, as in when you saw him against AFC Wimbledon, he was very much bombing down the right-hand side and trying to get the wing-backs forward and try and get the other team penned in their own half. So he's got options um, from central midfield, like I say, like, like you said, Jordan, I, when I saw you know, Tunnicliffe in the 10, you know, I think, as you say, the jury's still out to see if he's that out and out and and... I think his performances for Pompey have been better when he's been deeper and running with the ball forward. So if you've got someone like Aziz in front of you, you can take it and, and he plays on the half turn. I've seen him a few times when, when reporting for Arsenal. He's very much player who plays on the half turn. So when you have someone like that can turn the attack and make the attack quicker, I think that's a, a problem that Pompey have that he may address trying to get that pace back into the team and get the ball moving towards the goal faster rather than a little bit more... Um, you know, a little bit more passive from side to side. I think he's the one who can get the ball and, and try and make things happen for sure. That is why you employed Sam Cox, Mark. Right? That Arsenal connection there, that breakdown on Miguel Aziz. <laughs> boy, you got him in for that, right? That was, that was good. Yeah, that's what that's yeah, that. Lucid assessment, boiling down on the detail. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Not right. Rogers. Well, here, Sam did mention Jordi Romeo there, and it looks like going forward, he could be vital for Pompey, um, not just against Kings, but moving forward the rest of the season. Um, but at what point do we start seriously questioning Marcus Harness's contribution up front for Pompey? We all know he's so gifted. We all know that out of everybody, he's the one that Pompey feel more questions about than anybody from other clubs. But... I I, I'm a, I, I, have to, I think he's a fantastic player when he's on form, but he's not on form that often enough, is he? We're going back a year now, aren't we? Are we going back a year to the kind of the Burton hat trick and when he were, he had that real kind of purple patch um, yeah. sort of early on in the in last season? Then there was that real barren spell and then he kind of little flashes at the end of the season and Danny Kelly came in and I thought, yeah, this is Danny... 
going to be the one to unlock the potential. Yeah. Not done it consistently, has he? Again, yeah, there's a player there, undoubtedly. Um, but yeah, at what point is he a bit too comfortable? I mean, I like the way that, that, that Danny sort of took Ronan out the firing line because he didn't feel he was doing it. Does Marcus feel a bit too comfortable there that he's not being challenged enough and that he hasn't got that pressure? I don't know. Um, but he hasn't done it. And but then you can say that for the inconsistency as a front three for, for Pompey for a long time. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't think, I think we need more from John, um, from Marcus Harness. He's not, but if you're talking about the number 10 position, the problem number 10 position, is he one that can go in there and do something? I think he might be what potentially one of them. I, I agree with Sam Miguel Aziz would, would be the one. Um, but you're looking at people that could do it. Michael Jacobs. What's going on with Michael Jacobs? I know. Yeah. That, I know that Kenny Steiner was a number ten. He's not. He's a left player that comes in off the left, and that's how Danny Cowdy sees him. But out of the crop you've got at the moment, I, I, I would. I'd have. I'd have Michael Jacobs very close to my, my my first eleven. A lot closer than what in reality he is. Gasana had me. We all. We, you know, he hasn't done it after that. That starts the season. He's a second striker. But yeah. I would put Marcus Harness in that in that pot to do that, but obviously then that that throws up problems about where, where who goes onto the, the flank and in his absence. But no, you're right; he hasn't done it enough. He, Mark Catlin said many times when Ronan was getting all the talk. Actually, well, it's Marcus Harness that I get the most phone calls about. So people in the game can see that the, the, the quality there, uh, but we aren't doing enough to harvest the, the consistency. And I know that's the lot of a winger a lot of the time. We, we, we talk about wingers for, for for 50 years and they're in consistent form, but we need to find a way to kind of leverage the best out of him because we're not quite getting it. We're only getting it one every five, six, seven, even one, even 10 games. And that's, mm. we need to be doing it kind of, you know, a lot on a, on a lot more frequent basis than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sam, somebody new to the Pompey beat, but Marcus Harness, surely it's, clear to you that he does have something like but yeah it's just not Harry can't seem to get the best of him as yet mm. yeah and I think it was quite evident at MK Dons I think early in the first half there's a there was a few occasions where you know he's getting on the ball or trying to apply the press and it was just falling a little bit wide of the mark in terms of tactically and 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 you know being a real asset I think one of the Few chances the first half against MK Dons sort of came from the right hand side and, and it was good work from from Harness and, and the ball fell to Freeman, ball into the back post and, and Hackett Fairchild missed Mr. Sitter, you know, the header from, from close range should have found the back of the net. Unfortunately, it, it just looped over the bar after bouncing from the ground. So, you know, most of the time when when things are going well and, and things are going right, harness is usually at the heart of it. So as you say, it's about finding and, and unearthing that consistency. To make sure that that you know those attacking performances collectively are, are, are running through him, I think from what I've seen, as I've only seen him from the MK Dons game, and and I think that kind of summed him up. In the first half, you know, was a little bit off the pace, couldn't quite get into the game. Second half, yeah, a little bit anonymous at times, but you know, Pompey were, were much better in the second half, and and he was doing a lot of good work down the right hand side. I mean, he plies the press very well, and I think that's why Cowley is so happy to to keep him in the starting 11 because I thought, you know, he pressed from the front well, but again, it just, it's just something quite missing and I'm not too sure. And I think, you know, Daniel obviously sees him on a daily basis and sees 
what what he can and what he can give to him. Um, but yeah, it's just about I think finding him on the ball would, would be getting the ball to him and 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 let him do what we know he can do with it. I think that would be be the start of sort of a, a good spell for him in, in the Pompey side. And Jordy mentioned Michael Jacobs again. He would have him closer to the starting eleven. You were at Basingstoke on Tuesday night. Michael Jacobs obviously played. Again, was it the type of game where he stood out a mile as quality, or again did he? How did how did he play? It was a difficult difficult game collectively for for Pompey on Tuesday. Of course, you know it was a mixture of, of youth and, and experience. I think as he grew into the game, as the game got under, he's he started to get a get a grip on it and and started to emerge as Pompey's brightest spark, especially as I say down the left hand side. Um, the first half, you know, as I said, collectively there wasn't many standouts. Um, and to be honest, in the first half, he didn't look a cut above, you know, the, the players he was playing against. But again, Basingstoke, as I say, will probably be the challenge on Saturday with Cambridge. Obviously, was sitting very, very deep and very, very compact. So it makes it harder for him to to find the, the space and, and to do that. But yeah, had a couple of couple of good spells and a couple of um, a couple of chances, which unfortunately didn't didn't quite go his way. And again, it's probably a player who, who needed those minutes in his legs. But as I say, as as the game progressed, you could tell that he was you know far too good for for the level that that was playing at, and you know he was the brightest spark. I think. You know, you could be a little bit critical, you know, that he, he didn't quite, you know, grab the game by the scruff of the neck and, you know, really look to, to hurt that basic set of defence. But, you know, for a player of his quality, coming back for minutes, again, that's another, you know, it's a 4G pitch, you know, sometimes they can be a little bit, a little bit dodgy for, for players in terms of picking up, you know, niggly injuries and things like that. So you could tell he was kind of, wouldn't say holding back because it sounds a little bit, you know, detrimental to the way he played, but I think he was kind of a little bit more reserved um, you know, in, in trying to really take the game to him. But I think with the minutes in his legs, um, yeah, I think he'd be much closer to the first team now, especially as, as Pompey need that that option. Because I think we saw Hackett Fairchild on the left-hand side. I like him as a player, you know, very athletic, you know, epitomises kind of what the modern player kind of is, but didn't quite look um, comfortable out on the left-hand side. Probably another option to, to put into the middle. So I think Michael Jacobs will be definitely in the thoughts of Danny Cowley going forward for that left-hand side position. Do you reckon that the players, when they played on that 3G pitch on uh, on Tuesday night, when they went home, did they have their like partners and wives have a, like give them a right bollocking to get all the black bits? I knew he was going to say that before you even said it. <laughs> and like getting into the shower and like leaving the trout. One of those that same rigmarole that I used to go every yeah. week. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. You can find them in some awkward places too, can't they? Like so. <laughs> We'll leave it at that. Well, Johnny, we'll, we'll leave the last word with you. Going back to my, probably my first question, Cambridge on Saturday, come on, we're going to see a Pompey win, aren't we? We're desperate to see one. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, optimistic. Mm, yeah. Just need to find a way, don't we? We just have that kind of, yeah, archetypal goal off the backside or something like that. that but the longer it's going to go on, I haven't done a massive amount of homework on Cambridge, but I will do, but it seemed from what Danny was saying in, they'd they like to kind of like out of possession, just kind of fall into shape and put bodies behind the ball. So I think we need a way to carve open. We need a bit of creativity in there. Uh, whether that, Miguel Aziz might be that man, I'm hoping. Maybe finding a bit that, you know, the width is going to be important um, the weekend. I think that's going to be crucial. So the speed of Romeo, maybe, um, you know, 
counter-attacking and, and making the most of that, that that could be uh, getting a way to get behind. I know not Lee Brown, Conor Ogilvy, they're not particularly the quickest, but I think the way that Bazzouli plays can help Lee Brown get a lot further up the pitch this season. We've been seeing him taking the ball from the keeper sort of 15, 20 yards in the opponent half. That's going to be important at the weekend. The whip's going to be important. So I'll just find, just bloody find a way, please. Yeah, we'll take a 1-0. And we've got, the, we've got the optimism of home form and, and that's been good this season. So, yeah, we'll, we'll take a victory of, of, of any kind. Good stuff. OK, lads, we'll wrap it up there. It's been a pleasure, as always, getting your thoughts. We hope you've enjoyed watching and listening too. We'll be back again next week. We'll see you again soon. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the Portsmouth News website for everything you need to know about Pompey.